1: I am back and better than ever, but the Last of Us multiplayer game sure doesn't sound like it is. This is VGC, a video game podcast with me, Jordan Midler, Chris Scullion, and later in the show, Jeff Keeley. Hello, Chris. It's just us. It's just us.
2: Just the two of us. You got I. we Let's empty. I, <laughs> have, let's get the, I was going to say, let's get the keg in. We don't do that in Scotland, do we not? No. Idiot.
1: Uh What are we drinking this morning?
2: We're drinking um, original Coke. Mm. I've got a... a a fairly gruff throat which isn't ideal when being thrown into a podcast at the last minute it's
1: fine, you'll sound sexy you've just got to <laughs> that register you know? well, my, my
2: usual basic voice has now been enhanced with.
1: Um, we were originally supposed to be joined by one mr uh, andy robinson but i'm pretty sure he's fighting with ikea at the minute so um he is uh, indisposed um but this week we have a lot to chat about there's been some big games released um i've been in the states we have some headlines and in the back half we have mr summer game fest himself jeff Keighley, to talk about the show to one andy robinson but that was was that's pre-recorded that's radio magic you know (laughs) people will never know they'll ignore the fact that i've just told them and they'll never know
2: i know people will be saying
1: how did he get ikea sorted so quickly to talk to jeff Keighley? so it it was jeff that actually installed the flat pack he's a man of many talents (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> taking us into story number one the last of us multiplayer game has reportedly been scaled back sony is reportedly scale backing scale backing oh i've not been here for a week Report, sony has reportedly scaled back the size of naughty dogs the last of us multiplayer project following an evaluation of the project by platform holder and newly acquired bungie according to bloomberg the number of people working on the project has been reduced partly as a result of the destiny studio's feedback as to its quality and viability Quote, Bungie raised concerns, uh, raised questions about The Last of Us multiplayer project's ability to keep players engaged for a long period of time, which led to the reassessment the Bloomberg report claims. will be, We'll be paraphrasing uh, from here. The project's not been cancelled, but it's going to be uh, changed up a bit. And it seemed uh, from some brief LinkedIn uh, searching that a lot of the kind of ancillary studio work has changed. Uh, How did this story hit your ear? This was a surprise because Naughty Dog doesn't seem to fuck up like this. Yeah, it
2: doesn't, but at the same time, Naughty Dog's very much a single player studio and like, let's, cards on the table here, were you, did you give an eighth of a shit about a multiplayer Last of Us game?
1: So the thing is, I played a lot of the Last of Us multiplayer when it came to PS4, like during the first year, because it was one, it was one of the only things that the PS4 had at that point. and two it was actually um although people give the uh, naughty dog shooter engine a lot of shit which Mm -hmm. understandable it's not brilliant um i thought it was really fun like the kind of the it was 4v4 and there was a really good mode where you essentially had 20 lives and every time one of your teammates died you lost a life so it was really intense um but the thing that uh, that really sold me is you could connect it to your facebook and there was this meta game where when you won a multiplayer match you won uh, like supplies for your camp so there's this meta game of keeping your camp alive and when someone died if you linked it to your facebook it would be like the name of your friend has dysentery the name of your friend has been uh, stolen from the camp i loved all (laughs) that stuff so i ended up playing tons of it and i was interested to see how they would bring it back 10 years hence but yeah on the, on the surface when I look at Sony's kind of live service um, plethora of a million games it wasn't super up there for me I take it you didn't care at all not really. I mean, I I I hate
2: multiplayer at the best of times. I'm very much mm. a single player gamer, so it would never have been on my radar anyway. But even on, on top of that, like I, I know, like Uncharted had multiplayer for a while back in the day, and all that kind of stuff. It's just like it never really struck me as something that that massively blew up. Like when when any time they've tried it in the past, and when you've got someone like Bungie taking a look at it and saying, Are "You sure about this?" <laughs> and <laughs> Then that that's got to kind of raise alarm bells because when it comes to online, keeping an online game active for a long period of time kind of Bungie know their onions so when Bungie's saying actually you might want to rethink this then it kind of makes sense that something maybe wasn't looking too good there
1: I saw it framed somewhat online of Bungie like, dripping poison and Playstation's ear about all this stuff <laughs> being like oh we're going to be the new favourite but I suppose as you, as you mentioned it would be ridiculous of them not to leverage the actual experience they have in Bungie yeah. and just like PlayStation can't afford to do five years of live service games fucking it up like everyone did ten years ago when live Mm -hmm. service was just starting they have to go in with successes or else we'll be writing stories about how Fucking marathon, or whatever 50 of those games they announced during that showcase. Um, <laughs> down. Well, that's what I was going to say. If like if, if Bungie
2: are, are looking to drip poison, um, on, on other live service games, they've got a lot of work ahead of them because that showcase is like <laughs> fucking 50. Um, so yeah, they'll the, well, have um, I think I'm hoping that the case will be that Bungie will be seen as the kind of. The sages who kind of hand down their advice and and their experience to all these other uh, live service games that are kind of starting up. I, I would I would imagine if Sony had any sense, they'd be doing that, getting Bungie to kind of cast a, a, an eye over all of these and make sure that they're all kind of got the fundamentals in place. Because um, some inevitably some of these games are going to die on their arse within a couple of months, and I'd imagine at this point Sony's hoping to make that happen to as few of them as possible. Um yeah. but yeah, just there's only so many hours in the day, so some of them are gonna are gonna buckle.
1: The they kind of buried the lead. Um Naughty Dog responded to this on Twitter in advance of Bloomberg's article. Um and they talked about how the, the development is continuing, and they're giving them the game more time. However, the main thing that stood out to a lot of people was that they're also working on a brand new single player experience this is the this is the thing that i presume this is neil Druckmann's next game Mm. that i bet sony is desperate for him to call the last of us part three and he's kind of um (laughs) i wonder if there's a situation where it's like he wants to make a certain type of game and then he goes to sony and he's like this is the type of game i want to make and they just go what have you just what can you make this last of us can the main character be ellie this TV show that you you've just we've just made is like the biggest thing ever. What we feel like we'll get made fun of a bit too much if we already remake the Last of Us Part <laughs> Two. So can you like get something onto onto shelves? Yeah,
2: maybe it'll be a prequel called the First of Us. Yeah, it's just about I, one one guy getting sick.
1: I mean, there's like a, there's a huge there's a huge gap of time between the outbreak and when the Last of Us Part One starts. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm shocked that there hasn't been more chat about letting people into that area yeah. but Naughty Dog are super anal about holding on to specifically The Last of Us like they let Uncharted spin-offs happen but I feel like they take The Last of Us way more seriously especially yeah. Neil Druckmann and he's like who, um, who in Sony apart from your bloody Jambo Ryan has more power than Neil Druckmann at the minute like he seems pretty untouchable
2: That's that, that thing about the, there being a gap that was something I always wanted remember 28 Days Later And I, mm. I, I, I was obsessed with that film I absolutely loved it and I always <laughs> prayed that one day they would do a 28 Minutes Later and yeah. show what happened with the monkeys going mental and like giving more uh, kind of putting more meat on the bones as to what actually happened there that led to London being wiped out but um, we'll never know
1: yeah we can only pray that london gets wiped out in real life <laughs> story number two nintendo has blocked the steam version of gamecube and wii emulator dolphin the team behind the upcoming steam release of popular gamecube and wii emulation uh, emulator dolphin says it's been blocked by nintendo and one emulation expert thinks dolphin is at fault in this instance it, in a short statement on the dolphin website its creators wrote quote it is with much disappointment that we have to announce that the dolphin on steam release has been indefinitely postponed we were notified by Valve. Uh, uh, yes, we were notified by Valve that Nintendo has issued a cease and desist, citing the DMCA against Dolphin's Steam page, and have removed Dolphin from Steam until the matter is settled. They're investigating their options, uh, and now, uh, 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 in the case of Dolphin, Twitter user at Luigi Blood, uh, Christian name, um, <laughs> seems to uh, seems to think that uh, Dolphin is at fault here. Because um they are they're using the we common key, Chris, in in layman's terms for someone who's not an emulation freak. What's what is the issue here? The issue here is that usually the
2: argument uh Pro emulation people use um, is that emulation is legal. It's the actual use of the game ROMs that's illegal. So people have this loophole where they download an emulator and say, "I'm just using it for homebrew," even though mm. that they're, they're clearly not. Um, where Dolphin seemingly is different is that Dolphin includes this Wii Common Key, which is a kind of decryption key. And basically, the way most emulators work is that, uh, as I understand it, when you they, they, when you rip a game ROM or when you download a game ROM um, any copy protection that has existed has already been removed so that all the emulators doing is playing the game whereas the uh, Dolphin is using this key to kind of decrypt the game's game ROMs as they're passing through it mm-hmm. and Nintendo's went wait a minute that's our code like because emulators can get around it by saying we're not using the, the actual console, we're we're basically imitating the console. Recreating the conditions in exactly. a scientific lab. Exactly, but this uh, we common key, I think the term's like f- um, a forbidden number or something like that. There's, there's a mm. term for it which is like this specific piece of code cannot be replicated because it's needed to decrypt um, the games. And if that's included in the emulator, that's Nintendo's property and Nintendo can say, well, you've fucked yourselves there because... Like if you're using that, then that's our IP, basically. That's our copyright.
1: It's astonishing to me that this kind of stuff was ever going to make it to Steam. Like the the idea that there were like obviously have I've 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 messed about with dolphin and stuff like that. It's not really emulation doesn't really affect my life because I don't typically have much affinity for in like older games and stuff like that, like I'm always, I'm always on that new shit. I don't give a fuck. If I you don't care,
2: about, you plus, don't care about, you don't care about the PS2 era or any of those other games that came out before you were born.
1: Don't give a fuck. <laughs> get back to me when PS3 emulation works properly. Whereas, the
2: I, whereas I, on the other hand, was spent two hours last night trying to get a Commodore 64 game running. <laughs> fucking thing. Yeah. yeah don't I mean, me to
1: be fair, you are in the present. You're in, in the in the game of documenting every game to every exist yeah that's true and in your case like for that stuff were you Mm -hmm. using one of these like the retro these recreations of retro consoles that are all that age these days like the the 700 quid nes and shit like that yeah
2: it depends it depends on the book like for the nes Encyclopedia and the SNES and the Mega Drive ones I used FPGA consoles which are for those I, I don't want to get too nerdy about it but basically emulators are, have can often have faults and FPGA is an attempt to recreate a console from scratch to kind of make it as authentic as possible and, and it just it really just helps me um, I could play it on the original hardware but it makes it easier to capture because you can do HDMI out and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, for stuff like the Dreamcast book and the N sixty four book, I just use original hardware, uh, just because it's easier. It's just it depends on the system. But um, yeah, I've never really dabbled with Dolphin because I'm not really interested in emulation th- th- for systems that are that recent. Um, stuff you worked. <laughs> <for a bit. laughs> if, if, I, if I wrote about it in a magazine at the time, um, that's not old enough for me. Um, so yeah, i I'm, I'm I've never really been interested in Dolphin and um I, I, I don't like the smugness around it if i'm honest <laughs> there's, there's a lot oh well if I, I i if i would like to play zelda at fucking 16k resolution in 4000 frames a second it's like well knock yourself out mate i'm playing it on the switch
1: i um was actually flabbergasted straight after tears of the kingdom came out when i kept seeing all these tech talks and i was like this game looks amazing what happened and then I realised I <laughs> run on PC yeah, Like that's ah, okay. all
2: illegal and all, all so these weird. all these arseholes saying well I paid for it so and no you didn't it no, is so no,
1: didn't. weird that Nintendo's current primary console is just yeah. freely emulatable on PC isn't it like it's just
2: it's weird and it's like it's not like but also like the Nintendo has never really been great at getting on top of this kind of thing because you look at the days of the DS and Wii um, anyone who knew their onions could easily just download new games as they appeared and play them on their d s and Wii yeah. um so they've seem to have to an extent clamped down on that element of it. You need to really um as I understand it, bend over backwards to try and get these things running on a on a launch switch um but yeah, certainly. Um, the, in terms of emulation, it is weird that you can just you can just do that. And not that I would, I certainly wouldn't recommend it because it's, by all accounts, it's it's not like perfect.
1: I've I've never tried it to be honest. On the switch, Chris, Chris, I'm just getting, I'm just getting word. Ladies and gentlemen, we have caught and compromised a permanent end, Naka. Yuji Naka has reportedly been sentenced to two point five years in prison for insider trading. This comes from Chris Scullion at BTC. <laughs> and Andy, talking to Jeff Keighley
2: while fucking sorting out IKEA, and I'm on this podcast while writing a Yujinaka story.
1: Sonic the Hedgehog co-creator Yujinaka has reportedly been sentenced to two and a half years in prison and fined over $1.2 million for his part in the insider trading scheme at Square Enix. The the abima times I, I read them every morning reports that the tokyo district court ruled on thursday that naka should serve the prison term of at least two years and six months the prosecutor's office also ordered a fine of 2.5 million yen and uh, a supplementary penalty of 170 million yen claiming naka showed no signs of reward <laughs> yuji a fucking killer he's like i would do it again cold-blooded <laughs> his defence has requested that the fine be reduced and his sentence be suspended a decision is expected on July 7th now as Eugene Akers, the strongest soldier Chris this must have been heartbreaking <laughs> This must have been like Robbie leaving. take that that's as the a world's
2: for the kids as the world's biggest Balan Wonderworld fan um, <laughs> that's a weird one like he's he's clearly I mean he said back in March yeah I did it Um, (laughs) and you're like okay well I'll do it again (laughs) and I'll do it it thrice and it's, it's just like right okay fair enough um I've, yeah, I know some other sites are kind of missing the, the key component here, which is that it's not 100% set in stone yet. This is what the prosecution has decided the, the punishment is. And his defence has said, well, hold on a minute. Um, I think their argument was basically, as as, as 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 well as I could able to translate it, they're saying, look, this wasn't his fault. This information fell on his lap. <laughs> and, and now he's like, um, yeah, he did it, but it's not like he actively sought it or anything like that. So it just happened and he acted on it. Um, so they're looking to get the fine reduced. And they're looking to potentially have the the prison sentence suspended or something like that. So it's going to be another month or so until, like you say, the seventh of July b- before the actual final verdict is handed it's publicly down. Publicly executed, yeah. But 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 the, the basic the offer is um, two and a half years in in the clink and around one point two million dollars worth of yen. Um, but yeah, so we'll see in a month's time if that stays in place or. Or whether he gets it, job doing a wee bit.
1: I'm just glad they're finally rounding up and arresting everyone responsible for Sonic the Hedgehog. Get them all. It's the they, they can't get him now. He he he's. he's true. He's escaped. Um, but <laughs> he's escaped. <laughs> he's escaped in the Shadow Realm. <laughs> he's down in hell. Um, yeah, that. What a weird story.
2: it is, it is so, it's a weird one. It's like. It's just pure dodginess, isn't it? Like, he, he just he he, he 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 basically got access to what we usually get access to, is like embargoed information, and just decided to go and fucking play the stock market on it, which is actually quite. I was gonna say it's actually quite clever, but clearly, oh, caught yeah.
1: I can't wait for this fucking podcast to be right out in the court of law. I'll be joining oh. him,
2: <laughs> joining him in the clink. Yeah. Oh, well.
1: speaking of legendary japanese developers although this one hasn't been found guilty of crimes quite yet hideo kojima is involved in metal gear solid 3's remake konami has confirmed not the biggest surprise but speaking to ign when asked if kojima would be involved konami simply said they're not involved <laughs> however the development team will work hard to create this remake and also the ports of the metal gear solid master collection so that they can be enjoyed on multiple platforms by even more players around the world not what we asked i love that that level of spin any question just bring it back to the message every single fucking time (laughs) um considering the uh somewhat (laughs) less than uh, friendly way those two parties uh uh, broke up this isn't surprising is it chris
2: no definitely not and I'm, i'm more i'm more interested to see when the credits come out for the game how much he's mentioned in the credits because uh-huh. surely they can't completely remove him from it altogether um, because I re- remember when he first left and there was a lot of carry on about them removing a Hideo Kojima game from some of the promotional material for like the, the whatever the last Metal Gear was um, and there was a bit of carry on at the time saying oh they're, they're trying to wipe his name off of, off of Metal Gear Solid so I'll be, I'll be curious to see when the credits come out for this um I don't imagine it'll say a Hideo Kojima game <laughs> at the top of it um, and I'll be curious to see how much um, he's credited or whether they do what Nintendo sometimes does and just say um, original game team and not mention anyone and then just credit the uh, who's developing the remake. Yeah. That, that That's a bombshell waiting to happen if they just don't name check anyone who is originally involved in it
1: i i somewhat ex- like i didn't expect him to be, be involved that i kind of thought konami might like g- give him a check to come on and just be like yes i approve of this uh, <laughs> remake that i have nothing to do with yeah but yeah strange one that trailer was cool though i'm looking forward to seeing that um what is all about the japanese developers this week uh, Mega Man series producer kazuhiro uh, sushia has reportedly left capcom uh as noticed by Mega fan fansite rocket corner the developers twitter account was recently updated to note that he had graduated from Capcom after working on the series and producing the excellent Street Fighter VI. Um, if this uh, profile update indeed confirms that he's done, uh, that will be a, a tenure that started in the 90s. He worked on Mega Man 7 in 95 and Street Fighter Alpha Warrior's Dream in 96. He took over after Keiji Inafune uh, departed in 2010 and uh, has mostly been working on the kind of Mega Man classic releases but also got Mega Man 11 to go. Uh, there's supposed to be a Mega Man twelve at some point, but this is um it's it's Capcom and it's Mega Man. Chris, why can Capcom not stop winning with everything apart from Mega Man?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the deal is. With. I love Mega Man but I don't know why he keeps getting the shaft um like on, on a regular basis. I think it's just it, it's just it's a hard it shouldn't be that hard a sell but Mega Man seems to be a hard sell and I don't know if it's because it's got this reputation as being really difficult which back in the day it was um, but for some reason Mega Man doesn't strike a chord with people in the same way that Resident Evil and Street Fighter and um, even Monster Hunter do it's, it's, it seems to just kind of be lingering as, as this kind of uh, thing from the past, which has got a kind of a small hardcore fan base, which will buy any Mega Man game that comes out. But that's clearly not enough um, for for Capcom to, to to put a lot of effort into it. So whatever the size the fan base is, it can't be that big. Um, if if otherwise, Capcom would be churning them out willy nilly. Um, so yeah, it just it just seems that this is a uh, an IP that's just kind of slowly going to take a but, well not even slowly it's been taking a backseat for for ages now and you might get, they might throw them a bone every now and then with the wee Mega Man every five or six years but um, other than constant retro re-releases I think Mega Man's on his arse sadly mm.
1: Yeah, uh, Capcom can obviously do the the big AAA beautiful action games and fighting games but it'd be nice for them to get that kind of that that kind of retro piece of the puzzle back do they maybe just start giving Mega Man to like some indie studios and stuff like that that are willing to do yeah
2: maybe I mean
1: it's a weird one Mega Man because you can't really modernise it
2: um because people will turn against it it's one of the few oddly resident evils allowed to kind of improve over the t- over time and um street fighter obviously look at street fighter 6 and how amazing that looks it's it's been allowed to kind of um look better but because I don't know if it's because Mega Man's so cartoonish like it is, it's art style it's like it doesn't seem to be allowed to become next gen or current gen in any way so they're stuck in this kind of weird place where how, how do they make a new Mega Man game that doesn't just look like an a NES or SNES game they can't really bring it into the modern era because the fans will go that's not my that's not my Mega Man and they can't really yeah. Mega Man 12 can't look like an old Mega Man game because nobody'll buy it who's who's younger than 30. Um so it's just as weird kind of they're damned if they do and they're damned if they don't and they need to kind of figure it out, I think.
1: Well, um I will not cry any tears for Capcom because after the break we'll talk about how they've made one of the best fighting games
0: ever. We'll see you in a minute. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place.
1: Press. We've had some time with Street Fighter Six. Uh, I think it is fucking excellent. Put that on the box. What are you thinking?
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm loving it. I've, I've not. I've not had as long with it as you, obviously, because you you reviewed it and I've been kind of out and about, so I've not had time to, to play it too much. But um, I like what I've played of it. I really like the the combat is solid. Um, I like the. Um, the the kind of one button mode that they've added it's not even one button but the mode modern for, yeah for, for, yeah. for yeah, less experienced players Um, like so I managed to play a few games with my wife because she used to love Street Fighter back in the day but then has kind of fallen out of love with it so she was kind of back in Um, although I should point out that the 3DS version of Street Fighter 4 <laughs> added that um, back in the day, we could put moves on the touch screen and just tap the touch screen to do them. So all this jerking off about this new modern <laughs>
1: control system is is very out of date. Um, but I feel that, like I failed as a as a critic, not <laughs> referencing that in my review. <laughs> no,
2: no, not so much you, but the way that Capcom's coming out and saying, "Look at this brand new thing," that like, fuck off, mate! You can't kid a kidder. Um, but yeah, it's a bit. Other than that, like I've not I've not tried the World Tour mode yet, which seems to be the the oh, that's, seems that's to be fantastic. <laughs> but after reading the review, I was like this. This is... Uh, this is... It uh, sounds like right up my street. Uh, yeah. Pun very much intended. Um, cause it sounds just mental. Um,
1: but it's, it's really kind of... Um, so I talk about in the review how when Street Fighter Five came out, the game was great. <clears throat> the fighting engine was all fantastic, but there was nothing to do, basically. Yeah. There was a very basic arcade, and the rest of it was so focused on fighting online and getting ready for EVO and the Capcom Pro Tour and all that stuff. Whereas uh, Street Fighter Six is... All of the arcade modes... Um, all the kind of all of that offering a big online mode and then the world tour which is this weird rpg that they've added to the game where you create a character and then you travel around metro city in all the various stages meeting the legends of street fighter and when you meet them you meet Chun lee and it'll be like oh do you, want to, do you want to learn how to do a hurricane kick and it's like <laughs> yeah sure and and then you're like building up your moveset out of their moves but not just this while you're walking around these city streets There will be hundreds of random created characters just waiting to fight you so you just walk up to someone and ask them for a fight or not even ask them just walk up to them and punch them in the back of the (laughs) head and it'll initiate a fight and the fights will be over in like two seconds or whatever but it's just so weird and funny and it reminded me you know the humor in dead rising it's just kind of kind of out there like Capcom style humour it's like that again yeah. so you need to play it it's so it's, da- it's, it's
2: I'm, just, I'm just glad that it's. it, it feels like it's because one of, one of the great things about Street Fighter 2 and again I'm going back to b- before your time so I apologise here but um <laughs> Because it was new to most people, nobody played Street Fighter 1, nobody gave a fuck. But the the fact that Street Fighter 2 was, it was, it kind of embraced everyone, everyone was new to it, everyone was kind of um, falling in love with it at the same time. It, it's just, it's nice to see that Street Fighter is open to all now because the, the, when Street Fighter 2 came out, um, it was everyone was kind of discovering it for the first time but now, now Street Fighter over the years I think it became more niche and became more hardcore to the extent that I was an enormous Street Fighter 2 fan and loved uh, Champion Edition and Turbo and Super Street Fighter 2 Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo and like bought them all and was obsessed with them all it was constantly never out the arcades playing it and um, when when the when the three Street Fighter threes came out, I was like, okay, but um, it started to get a wee bit more technical, and I just like having fun with it. Four kind of lost me. About five completely lost me, especially mm. when between every fight, like all these things come up for the Capcom Cup and all this kind of stuff. And it's like at that point, I was like, you don't, you don't actually want me playing this game, do you? This game isn't for <laughs> me anymore. I'm not a. Member of the pro fighting game community, and this is clearly who you're looking at and who you're aiming at. Um, you don't want me here, do you? I, I'm, I'm, I'm the third wheel in this in this relationship. So it's nice to see that Sex has kind of embraced everyone again and said, actually, let's let's everyone come back in and let's let's start again from the beginning. <laughs> so I'm yeah. I'm happy with that.
1: Yeah, I think I think it's fantastic. I just want them to put the fucking servers back on so I can start battering people <laughs> and then be very quickly humbled. Um, I I was really into Super Street Fighter Four when they added like Adon and Yuri and like th- that was like the first revision. Mm. Um, I got a stick like I was I was all in on Super Street Fighter Four. IV. I've been looking at sticks now; they're so expensive, but um, th- th- like because Sony now owns Evo, they have partnered with like Hori and stuff like that to make tons of fighting game accessories yeah. for this um, interesting though this is back on Xbox Street Fighter 5 famously wasn't um, I bet I don't know what the fighting game community is like on Xbox like is there a lot of people over there all the tournaments are played on PlayStation yeah. because of Sony so
2: it's a weird one uh, but, but again I think the fact that this is um, seems to have slightly less of a focus on multiplayer obviously online multiplayer is still going to be it's it's kind of it's roots and its foundation but um i think this world tour mode certainly helps a bit i, I can imagine a lot of single players a, a lot more of them will be playing on xbox potentially no, that, that's not. That's Everyone not. That's not Xbox what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Most most people on Xbox who will buy it will buy it for single player. I think mm. um, some will buy it for online. But I think anyone who's really serious about the online side of things will, will have already committed to the PlayStation because uh, Five is on PS4.
1: Yeah. Well, that's the the first of a double header this week. Diablo Four is also out. Um, I did a nice discussion with Adam Porter and Lauren uh, Lauren Bergen from PC Games N uh, that is on our YouTube channel. You can go and check that out in brief it's also really good it's it's another game i just want them to turn the servers back on the servers go online in 14 hours from when we're recording this so the rest of my day is just going to be spent writing about how you get a horse etc and so on Um, because it's Diablo is one of those games that you can engage in on the most surface level possible but the amount of shit in there is like super overwhelming Mm -hmm. but yeah you can check that discussion out it's a really solid uh, game last week I was in San Francisco to uh, get food poisoning and also play Immortals of Avium. First of all, Chris, do you know the? Do you know what level of uh, uh, giving up you have to be when you're Uber eats and Pepto Bismol to your hotel at four in the morning? That's, that's where we're at. That's low, and it felt like that's a, that's a low. I point. felt like I had just drank ten liters of like water from Spain. You know when they're like, mm. don't do not don't drink the tap water yeah. you'll die that was kind of the fun like, oh, times was, was
2: that, this was this before or, or after the the visit the the the, the, the planned visit for avian was this before it or after
1: this, so we went to we we got to i got lunch with one greg miller enemy of the show mm. um and then i went to the event feeling fine played the game about halfway through playing the game i was like my chest like, i could i could spell I, shite <laughs> it's me I, i'm really wo- i'm really warm what's happening here i feel like i'm in water for some reason <laughs> i was like i feel fu- i feel terrible and so i went to the pr person i was like uh, sorry i have an interview in like an hour can i just do it now because i don't know how much time i've got left on this <laughs> earth um so i did the interview with brett robbins super nice Get it, get it. really nice guy talked to him before and then i walked back to the hotel and as I was walking, I was like, this is this is not good. <laughs> got into the hotel, got into bed, and then this was about five o'clock or something like that. Mm-hmm. Woke up at two in the morning, the sickest I've ever felt. That's just mental. Dead. <sighs> and then I was like, oh shit, I need to host on Kind of Funny in about 10 hours. I'll not even get my shit together. Um, so if you go and watch Friday's Kind of Funny Games Daily with me and Mr Midas, uh, just know the odd, in the uber on the way there i was just eating ice trying to <laughs> cool myself down because i had such uh, a bad did you fever.
2: pinpoint what caused it is it maybe airplane food or is it some less I, I don't know
1: i I really do not know because i mean obviously i, I just because I, I ate like a family-sized bag of flaming hot cheetos <laughs> that shouldn't really do that much internal damage mm. to me I i must have just ate something dodgy like it's I don't want to pinpoint anything specifically for legal reasons, yeah. but the there will have been something dodgy that just disagreed with me. Um, Shame, but yeah, that was a that was a fun experience. And then flying back on that twelve-hour flight, ill as fuck, just sitting there, like just make it, just make it, just make it That's back grim. to to land. Um, but Immortals of the is pretty. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Out of all of that, I'm still like, you know what? I feel deathly, but uh, it's pretty good. It's a uh, it's like a first-person magic shooter. Um, the the section we played really kind of showed off the it's very arena combaty you know you'll you'll be playing doom and you'll come into an area and it's all set up for combat and then mm-hmm. you go through a corridor and then it's all set up for combat pretty much like that um although the the combat's felt the combat arenas felt more like multiplayer maps which makes sense when which makes sense when you take into account how many people worked on call of duty before coming to ascendant studio mm-hmm. including uh, brett robbins who was the creative director on a couple of those games so yeah it's out in mid-july which is an interesting wee time period for a game like that but um it's one that i think people will pick up during that lull as much of a lull as there is because end of the month final fantasy start of september starfield so the lull is getting shorter and shorter it's basically just july and august but yeah Yeah. i think it's it is one to pick up Uh, chris why do people not put out games in july
2: um, probably because most people are out sunning themselves and hoeing it and touring it around the world in, in various yeah. ed- uh, holidays and such um, and so there's that it's weird it's the opposite of, of movies where they obviously get the big summer blockbusters whereas in, the vi- in terms of video games they know that people are out and about and nobody's well very few people are staying at home locked in their, in their bedroom yeah. um, it's creeping so in there I would imagine mass- that's what it is
1: three of the biggest games of the year out in June is that a pretty weird one
2: hmm yeah, no, it's, I, it's, I mean, this is just this this weird year, isn't it, where everything, um, just everything's coming out because of the pandemic delays, everyone's just like, here's all the games now, enjoy.
1: Yeah. I was about to say it's going to be some fight for a game of the year, but it's fucking not. <laughs> tell anyone that Tales of the Kingdom isn't game of the year and they just punch their fucking face out. <laughs> it's, it's clearly Disney Speedstorm. <laughs> yeah, we are VGC's vote. We've, we've already committed. We've got the lobbyists. I'm go- I'm going to vote for a speedstorm for you so that I can get your votes in a in a, in a different category in these fictional awards that uh, we're starting. Um Before the the summer heat really kicks off, though, I cannot believe that we're about to go into like E3 Summer Games Fest period in like a week's time. Soon enough, we will be sitting in a call much like this, watching these endless presentations. How excited are you? <laughs> I'm
2: excited about that because, especially because, as I think we've we've touched on before in the past, um, our discussions during these things are outlandish and could never be repeated. And that that kind of adds to the fun of it. (laughs) Because. um, yeah, obviously it's it's a stressful time to to be on the kind of um, basically in the trenches, like covering these things as a reporter, because you're firing out news stories left, right, and centre as as games are announced. But so the kind of the, the thing that keeps me um, sane during these things is every time a, a a shit game will appear, and we get to take the piss out of it for two uh, for two minutes and kind <laughs> of clear the decks before the next big announcement. So yeah, I'm looking forward to a nice. Uh, a combination of great new bombshells and utter gash um just to kind of to help us kind of keep keep saying that's throughout. the
1: way it always goes um I, I asked on twitter what people would be looking for during summer game fest which is kind of the big that'll be that i think that's the big focus as of the microsoft ones that microsoft one and uh, bethesda's thing that'll be the the main the main show people want to see wonder woman gameplay i could i, I feel like we're about time it's, was that last year they announced that they just showed the, I forgot. like, the logo or something. We wrote about I it, Adam, I as it, but, honest, it was something yeah. we covered. It might have been that Game Awards or the previous Game Awards or something like that, but we definitely covered it, and I, and I called. Um, yeah. The Darkness remake. What The Darkness? Who's who's a fan of The Darkness? <laughs> Wasn't fucking the, the guy fa- <laughs> uh Faith No More in The Darkness? Am mis- I misremembering like, like, remember.
2: I mean... When I think of the darkness, I instantly think of Justin Hawkins. But the the uh, oh the, every time I think of the darkness as uh, the, the band as opposed to the game, I get annoyed because the only time I went to tea in the park, um, God rest it, was when David Bowie was supposed to be the headline act, and that was why I went. And right before. Uh, tea in the Park David Boy pulled out and was replaced by The Darkness as Jesus. as the headline that, that's, that's not the same that's not even close to the fucking same um, but in terms of the game <laughs> I, quite, I quite enjoyed the game back in the day that's the one is that, is that the one where, where you could the, the kind of demon thing took over you and you could kind of move, move it down the road and everything and attack people I, I'm sure the yeah. sequel had a guy in a fake Celtic top did it not?
1: I, I don't. I'm not aware of that, but um, I, I believe you. If anyone would know that, it's you.
2: I'm sure there's a fake Glas, there's a crap Glaswegian guy in the second one who's got a fakey Celtic top on. But mm. yeah, I mean, um, I, 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 I wouldn't say I was in a massive rush for a remake, but okay.
1: <laughs> don't sound too excited. Although they, they I I will. Chop my arm off if this actually comes true because what a, what a random guess that would be. Uh, Laura Hayes says, Don't be scared, announce Bloodborne. Well, I'll try my best. I'm not sure I quite have the power to uh announce Bloodborne's uh, PS5 version or PC version, but um, I'll have a word, you know. I mean, Jeff's on the show in about three minutes' time, so when he pops up, I'll um, <laughs> I'll just whisper in his ear, mate. See, see for you, do me a huge favor, Bloodborne then that will be him that's how it works um, get it done but yeah it's, I'm I'm excited for these shows I love shows like this I think it's very easy to get cynical about stuff like this and we do but when, it, when it's when it's exciting it's exciting as, as soon as I don't get excited for one of these it'll be time for me to, to pack it up I think um
2: that's but, exactly my um, logic because I've been like I say I, like I keep saying over and over again just to keep myself aware that I'm still alive um, 17 years I've been doing this now and I, and I still love it's like Christmas Every my, my Christmas comes in the summer uh, because mm. that's the time where you, you still love it and you still see all the big games that are announced and even lots of stuff sure there's a few things we get told about beforehand but there's always big surprises that they keep um, bolted away from, from all the press and everything um, and it's still an amazing time because not only on a fan level where you go oh fuck that's coming oh that's coming but then also being basically being told okay this is what your job is going to be for the next year or two these are the new things you're going to cover it's basically kind of shaping your work kind of landscape for the next two years and that's the exciting bit as well um so yeah well up for it
1: it certainly is without further ado we'll hand it over to big andy robinson west ham's own and the wonderful jeff
3: keely to chat all about summer game fest so what can you tell us about this year's event you know how's the planning going i mean as you, you said you're two weeks you're two weeks now you're coming up it's pretty close
4: yeah, we're two weeks away from uh, Summer Game Fest, so it kicks off with kind of our live show that we're doing on Thursday, June eighth. That'll stream live everywhere. They're excited that it's going to be in person uh, for the first time with an audience of fans, uh, and I really think that's going to add a ton of energy to it. So I'm I'm excited just to have the fans with us in the room and hopefully some good games to show. Um, you know, expectations this time of year are extremely high just in the June window because everyone expects you know lots of crazy announcements. I mean, we saw the the dream lists that people had for the PlayStation showcase and things like that. So, um, it's, it's a tough time of year because fan expectations are through the roof, but, um, I think we're gonna have a lot of good games on stage. So it's going to be
3: a good, good show when you're the master, master of hyping up announcements. What can you tell us about what our readers should, uh, kind of expect from this year's event?
4: Yeah, look, it's always a a difficult thing because, you know, expectation management, as they say, uh, you have to keep that in mind. And, you know, if you say it's going to be, and I saw, you know, around the PlayStation Showcase, people were like, this is going to be generation defining and biblical proportions and things like that. You
3: you know what I did? I mean, I did a bit of research for this, kind of looks back at some of your previous, uh, you know, some of our coverage on VGC of... uh of of your events over the last year. And I think you did a pretty good job of of kind of setting the expectations. Last year, you, you told people to be cautiously optimistic. I mean, obviously, last year, we were still had that the hangover from uh, the pandemic. Yeah. And then uh, the Game Awards, you said, you know, you were more excited about that than you'd been about any of your shows for a while. And yeah. I think that was fair as well. You had some big stuff.
4: Yeah, we know Game Awards really came together. Uh, and that's why I was uh, really excited about a lot of things. And look, when you do these shows, we do three of them a year naturally they're going to be ones that are bigger than others. Right. And it's just kind of, you know, we don't make the games, So it kind of depends on when games are ready. And oftentimes things will move between shows too, for us. Um, and, you know, it's, it, I always say the, these shows are really defined by like one or two big games or announcements. And that kind of like makes or breaks the show. Like you think back to our summer game fest from two years ago, people remember Elden Ring was there probably can't remember anything else in that show. Right. But that's the game <laughs> that just like sticks with you. Right. So it's kind of like one game can make all the difference for people and you either have it or you don't sometimes. And also it can be, that's a different game for some people versus others. Um, so yeah, we were really I mean, I was feeling really good about game awards. Things just really came together in a great way um, last year. The thing I will say with summer game fest is that it's probably our hardest show to produce because we're in this window where, Sony's doing something, Xbox is doing something, you know, other people are doing events, right? So when we do Game Awards, it's kind of everyone comes together for that yeah, show. Yeah, I was I was you gonna know.
3: ask that. I mean, is it more challenging doing this versus your totally. your other two kind of tempo events because of yeah, that? So yeah, you're sure. competing with Ubisoft and the platform holders and
4: exactly. And and you know, some of them are very collaborative with us. Um, and you'll know, see, you know, content from them in our show and, and their show, and, and it's just. But yes, uh, generally, like they have their big events, they're gonna, you know, save sort of their biggest stuff probably for their own um, showcases. So yeah, it just makes it different, right? And uh, you know, our show on the eighth is part of this summer Game Fest event, which is really an umbrella brand which includes, you know, kind of all these events from partners. But people will still judge us based on, you know, that two hours. What do we have in our show? So, yeah, it's definitely our, our most difficult one. I still think it's an important show to do um, because we're platform agnostic. And, you know, as you saw uh, in the PlayStation event, it's like Xbox is off tweeting about like, hey, all, you know, all these games are coming to Xbox, too. And it's, it's always weird right now with third party games, because even though they're in a first party show, they're often shipping on multiple platforms. Yeah. So we just like to do something that's like kind of agnostic. Doesn't matter what platform you're on come watch our show and enjoy it. But yeah, there's definitely, it's it's a challenging show to put together and it's also changing every year, whereas we're pretty set in kind of what, what uh, the Game Awards is and Gamescom is, you know, very much tied to sort of that event. So yeah, I'm proud that we do it. But yeah, this show is, I think it's gonna be a good show. Um, we've, you know, we've announced Mortal Kombat. We're showing the first gameplay of that, which is, uh, I've seen previews of that. And I think it's gonna be, you know, exciting. Sam Lake's gonna be there. We're gonna show kind of the first, raw kind of gameplay sequence from Alan Wake 2 that was in the the Sony event where people got a first look at that. Um, So yeah, the thing I like about this show is we can sometimes show some longer sequences of games too, and not just trailer, trailer, trailer. And what I think differentiates our event, a lot of the other ones is that we are in a live environment, we're having guests, we're talking to people. And I love that. I think it's nice to put context around games. I mean, you're a journalist, I like to sort of like frame things up. And I think some of these video events that everyone else does, they're great, but they're also just sort of like playlists of all these trailers um, and th- they're well done I just think you know what we can contrib- contribute is sort of the editorialization around um, some of these assets and look some people on Twitter say like why is there all this talking just show me game after game but um you know I like to sort of make a little bit of a show around things
3: so how how stressful is that for you I mean I'll see coming back to the your point that a lot of people kind of remember the, the one or two big games.
4: Yeah.
3: Um, now, I, I mean, I, I'm sure that obviously you have lots of publishers kind of queuing around the block to go, oh, hey, can we get this in your show? Can we get that? How much does that occupy your mind, kind of chasing after those those big games? Can you give us a bit of colour about what it's like behind the curtain chasing after the Elden Rings?
4: Yeah, it's a... Uh, look, It's it's hard. Because you don't control those things. And sometimes you think you have something, and then the developer calls you up and breaks your heart and says, Hey, we're not ready. I mean, I always say, you know, with game awards, inevitably there'll be something I'm extremely excited about. And then I get a call in October and November and the developer's like, hey, sorry, we're just not ready. Um, we're gonna need to move this till next year. And sometimes it even moves like in the pandemic, things are moving like into the next game awards, like moving 12 months ahead. Um So, yeah. And sometimes, you know, you wait, like even last year game awards, like, you know, Judas, um, the new game from Ken Levine. I mean, we would talk to Ken for years about that. Right. And it was like, wasn't ready. wasn't ready. wasn't ready. And then finally it was ready last year. Um, So yeah, it's stressful because you don't know how things are going to break. And, you know, you, you, you call the ball and you say, Hey, we're doing this show on this day and you start with nothing. Right. It's a blank calendar of, you know, all these slots in a show and you just kind of hope it fills up and, you know, we like, I feel pretty good about Summer Ampest. I think we've got some really good stuff, but you live in constant fear that is this the year where there's nothing um, and you don't have those games to kind of showcase to people. I mean, even now with something like Game Awards, last year we were really happy with it, but then it just... That excitement turns into a fear of like, how do you top yourself this year? So you kind of, you know, never you're only as good as your last show, right? So you kind of just have to, you know, even when you win one, you're like it just raises the expectations for the next one. So yeah, it's it's a it's a stressful thing, but we've I've been doing these shows for so long. You just know it's gonna work out and you do the best you can. Um have you ever ever had any big ones kind of drop out last minute? Sure. Oh yeah. Things always move around. I mean, last year Summer Game Fest, we had a couple things that um got pushed. I mean, we've had games for our shows that we've had the trailers and the team will call us up, you know, days before the show and say, Hey, by the way, the game just got canceled. So we can't announce it. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's like those kind of things happen. Not, not often. Um, but yeah, they're definitely things. And uh, look, there are games. We also announce in our shows that like never come out and things. Right. So it's, uh, yeah, definitely things are down to the wire. We you know pitches will show up, um, super last minute. There was the game, it was probably five six years ago, but there was a game, uh, Campo Santos, um, next game, the Valley. God. Yeah,
3: I remember that, yeah.
4: Um, but they called me, it was like two weeks before the show, and said, Hey, we got this trailer. Um, you know, you're thinking right? I'm like, Saw it, look like, beautiful, like, let's do it. Then they sold the Valve, and that game never came out, but that was one that was like super last minute kind of addition that, that came into the show. Um, so yeah, it's constantly in flux. Like, we're two weeks out, and there's still probably maybe two things that we're still not quite sure are they going to happen in our show or not? And We're a live show. So things are sometimes down to the wire. Um, so sure. Yeah. Things definitely like shift around with our shows and, you know, you hope they're not leaks. And that's the other thing that, you know, we've been lucky with that There haven't been a ton of leaks for our shows, but those also can kind of impact like what we're doing and our plans. So yeah, it's, uh, the, the final couple weeks weeks are, are stressful and you obviously hope that, you know, someone's going to ring on your door and say, Hey, by the way, we have this massive, you know, announcement we want to land in your show. Um, and yeah, it's, it's hard because you just never know what's going to happen. And it's just kind of, you have to do the show though. Right. And some people are like, why did they bother doing this? Or why did it have that? And there's just so much, so much negotiation and politics to all this stuff that what ultimately happens on stage um, is the product of like months of work.
3: I mean, obviously, as you kind of noted at the start, um, I I think everyone who is a fan of games will be quite excited that you're in front of a live audience this year, we're going to get back some of that excitement again that we we had from kind of events past um, and some of your other more recent events over the last year. Does that, kind of does that kind of add some challenge to what you're talking about like kind of the pressure to put together a strong show that now you're going to have that real tangible feedback I mean obviously before if you put on a show where you know there's not so many game events around and you know fans are a bit disappointed that that's on a forum you can kind of you can just swerve that for a bit but obviously does it put on more pressure that you have a real audience there
4: yeah I guess but I think generally like people are excitable, right? I think if you're going to come out to be part of the show, you want to be excited. And I think, you know, when Ed Boone walks out on stage and we show Mortal Kombat, like the energy, I think we feed off that. So it actually gets me excited. I guess there's always a risk that people are going to, you know, boo something or be disappointed (laughs) generally. Like, you know, we've had pretty good uh, reactions. And like, I just think back last year to game awards, it made such a difference when we, you know, people saw the super giant logo and got n- nuts for Hades. And I think that, that, I think it excites us. And also I think it excites developers, right. To sort of have that energy in the room. So no, I think it's actually going to be a really positive thing for us. I don't, it doesn't create more pressure for me. It actually gets me more excited because um, I think that energy translates to sort of the stream. And again, it's what's different from our event than a lot of these other first party events right now is that we're doing things in front of an audience and, you know, the, the Sony event from E3 2016, I mean, still, you know, resonates with all of us, right, with the God of War Orchestra and that big reveal. And like, those were just, you know, magical moments. Um, So that's a little bit of me trying to capture some of that magic and still do a live event. I mean, we didn't, we certainly didn't have to do this as a a live event with an audience. um, But I just felt this year, that was kind of what we could, what we could do that was unique this year and do something in person. And, you know, obviously E3 had, planned to come back and they were going to do a big convention and that was never in the cards for summer game fest, but I did want to have like the fans with us in the audience. um, And that's what we're doing.
3: What can you tell me about how the kind of the pandemic has, uh, as kind of a uh, you know, adapted now to you know what's out there? How many games are out there for you to talk about? How many suitors there are yeah. uh, to to announcing their games in your event? I mean, obviously, last year, you know, by your own admission, there, there weren't so many big games around to kind of yeah. compete for. Um, are things a bit better now? Is, is everything kind of slowly getting back into pre-pandemic I think so. levels?
4: I mean, there's. Things are getting better, I think, um, in terms of development timelines, but also just generally there are fewer games coming out. Um, and that's, you know, I think I saw that even in the Sony event where people, you know, had these lists of, you know, all these first party games are expecting to be announced. And I just think, you know, the days of, you know, here are 20 first party games all being, you know, announced at once just are not happening anymore. Like if you look at something like Mortal Kombat, great example. I mean, that MK1 got announced we're showing the first game and it ships in september so like the timelines are getting much shorter on games too whereas you know years ago people would show a game for like three or four e3s and now it's kind of like hey here's a game coming out you know like spider-man was a good example of PlayStation. like here's spider-man coming out this fall and you know they did one trailer i don't know they announced it, it was a couple years ago here's a gameplay you know trailer and then game comes out in the fall so I think the there're fewer beats and timelines are getting shorter so that also kind of impacts generally like the um, the roadmap. and of course'll there'll there will always be outliers of some you know game that wants to show a trailer and you'll see you know 2026 at the end of it or something like that. Not that we have a game in our show that says that, but it's just you know that that general trend of like people kind of you know casting an idea that's going to be years away. But I also think the thing that has happened in a lot of my shows now, and I feel this way just as a, as a player, that, you know, you see these CG teaser trailers and it's like, it's really hard sometimes to get a grip of like what the game actually is. And we get pitched a lot of CG stuff constantly. And, you know, we yeah, put-
3: I thought it was really odd kind of seeing a few of those in the PlayStation showcase, because it felt like you don't really see that much anymore for the reasons you're describing.
4: Yeah. And like, we, you know, the thing we found now is there's more hybrid trailers where we can get people to sort of like do the CG and at the end put like 15 seconds of game plan. And I'm like, I think that like can, you know, be a, a good sort of uh, proxy, but yeah, it's, it's tough. Cause I mean, some of those like, you know, teaser trailers that sort of come out and it's like, there was that one in the PlayStation event, I think it was called Concord from Fire Sprite. And I'm like, I don't even know what that game is. It yeah, was same, yeah. That Burger, And I was like, okay, yeah. it's a mood piece. Um, and like, I, you know, they're not bad. I just think it's, 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 it's hard. Um, cause I think now with this audience, it's just kind of like, it doesn't do a lot. And people are like, I don't know what that is. And like, show me a game, you know, get me excited about what the actual game is. So that's the other thing I think we're pushing, you know, we push for some of that stuff. And of course there always are CG pieces out there, but it's kind of a balance. And like you said before, we live in fear of kind of like, what? Are, maybe this will be the year. All we get are a bunch of CG trailers. And it's like, what do we do? That's what we have to run with. Um, so I think showing real gameplay is important, um, especially now that these you know games look so great with Unreal Engine 5 and stuff like that. You can do so much in engine. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's a balance, I think. And we just have to sort of work through it and we never know what we're going to get. And every year is different. So yeah, I, I thought... Game Awards, we're feeling really good about. I think we delivered for the audience. You know, last year's Summer Game Fest was, I think, you know, rougher in a way, right? Um, In terms of like, you know, the amount of things people...
3: Yeah, t- I thought um this year's Game Awards or last year's even was was really good. I thought it was one of the strongest for a while.
4: Yeah, no, I feel the same way, right? It's like we were really happy how that lined up. Um And it's, you know, not a function of if we're doing a good job or not. It's kind of like what, you know, what's out there uh to pick between. And to your point, you know, we... I always feel badly because there's so many teams that pitch us on their games and they just can't make it into the show. And that's, you know, it's sometimes just a function of like, what kind of games do we have? Like I remember last year at Summer Game Fest, there was that meme of, you know, all we were showing were sci-fi space games. Right. And sort of, you know, because we had routine and we had Callisto Protocol. Yeah,
3: well, I was going to ask you about that. I mean, how Solid. much do you think about curation when you kind of all of oh, this, like, this is what we have, you know, and what, what did you learn anything from that, that feedback?
4: From last year's show no, I mean, it's like it was accurate, but it's also that's the product of sort of like what was out there and, you know, the games available to us. And we try and sort of blend genres and, and types of games, but it's sort of, you know, it kind of depends on like what what's available to us. And, you know, we do have to curate it a little bit. And I, I do feel like, you know, we try and kind of make it a good mix of stuff. We don't always get it right. Um, and also like there are different audiences, um, you know, that, like different kinds of games and, you know, sci-fi, there are a lot of sci-fi games cause people like sci-fi. Um, so it's one of those things that, you know, we try and have a diverse group of things, diverse group of genres, but it's really hard because, you know, like for instance, sports games or racing games, we always struggle with those. Right. Cause it's a big genre, but it's like, do people want to see Madden? I don't know. Right. It's like, there's an audience for that. The people that tune into our shows, I'm not sure those are necessarily the people. Um, and also, you know, like we're a very global audience, right? So, like a U.S. Um, you know football game, um, the U.S. football is like probably not as big internationally. So we think about all that stuff. Yeah, it's a, it's a complicated matrix to put together, and yeah, we see that feedback, and you know, I I understand it and agree with it. I don't you know don't disagree, but it's sort of like that's kind of what was available last year. I don't. I'm trying to think this year if we have any sci-fi space games. I'm not sure. Right? <laughs> it depends on you're conscious of it, um, but also you know things are moving around and shifting. And, you know, it's like what you think your show is going to be two months before it happens, sometimes as being a very different show when it actually happens. Because, um, you know, it's like this making games is is an art form. And sometimes we'll have games where like the you know, team just runs out of time and they're not happy. And it's like, you know, our frame rate's not good enough. And it's like, oh, that's like fair point. So then pull the trailer. We're not going to force people to show up um, and show their game. And that oftentimes happens where, you know, people look, especially after like a redfall or something, I think people are like, you know, cautious, right? I mean, that game opened the Xbox press conference for two years straight, right? That was like their sort of big game that opened the show for two years. And then, you know, obviously ended up not delivering versus the expectations. So I think people are just also very wary now of like, you know, the trailers and the games they see and just kind of not really knowing, you know, what ultimately is going to come out.
3: And obviously the other other big story looming over uh, this year's Summer Game Fest, uh, probably for uh, consecutive years, is obviously E3 uh, not happening again. Yeah. Um, You know, you're you're a big part of, uh, you know, uh, game culture, um, especially online as as the the front man for all of our exciting news. Um, And, you know, the forums are now calling you the E3 killer. Is that fair?
4: No, I don't think that's fair. I mean, I would say I think, E3 sort of, you know, killed itself in a way. Right. And sort of, you know, what kind of happened over the years. And and I get that. Um, I understand what people say that, but I think if anything, you know, I was, we created Summer Game Fest and built Summer Game Fest because I saw the, you know, the wheels falling off the wagon, right. Of E3 and, and, and seeing it on this sort of glide path to history and getting scared as someone that loves that time of year. I mean, I grew up for, Two decades i mean e3 was part of my life since i was a 15 year old kid at the first e3 in 1995 i went to every show i loved it i mean it defined my summer um it was like so exciting to me and i think the fact it was, it was heartbreaking to see that sort of start to fall apart with you know uh, i think they had like a relevancy problem and then they also had a participation problem um over you know the final years so yeah i mean it look i, I think the question is like if we didn't do summer game fest what would happen i think things would have just kind of really splintered apart um this summer mm. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I get the sort of sentiment around that. It was, it was sad to me that we sort of had to decide to go off and build something new, but we did that all in partnership with the publishers and, you know, our list of partners for summer game Fest did not change at all with the cancellation of E3 this year, right? I mean, everyone we're working with, we've been working with for months, um, around summer game Fest. So there was a world where summer game Fest and E3 could have coexisted. And we had talked a lot to, to read pop about that possibility, because they were focused much more on sort of a big, you know, trade event and consumer event. And that's not what we were doing with Summer Games. And, and I
3: mean, I I know you're, you're a big fan of E3. Um yeah. You know, a lot of people of our kind of generation who that was the summer, right? That was oh, yeah. everything that you were excited about. Um, I mean, obviously, E3 kind of threatened to come back digitally and stuff, uh, you know, the last couple of years. But it must have been, you know, particularly odd for you, you know, kind of, with the prospects, you know, earlier on where it, at a point it looks like you were going to have to kind of both compete for the same pool of stuff.
4: Yeah, we, I mean, we never really saw that. I mean, E3, like, I, I you know, E3 cancelled in 2020 after I had pulled out due to the pandemic, and I started Summer Game Fest at home in a spare bedroom, just not even knowing <laughs> what I was really doing. We were just sort of trying to figure out a way to, like, you know, bring news to fans. And then you remember there was the E3 Digital that they did, I think, in 2021. 2021, um, yeah which was, you know, I mean, kind of their stab at, I guess, doing something similar to what we we did. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, it, you know, didn't happen last year. didn't happen this year. So, yeah, we never, I never really felt in competition with E3. We were, you know, doing something different. We're focused on doing like a big live stream digital show. I guess in 2021, there was maybe a little bit of competition between, you know, what we were doing and, and what E3 was doing. This year, I thought we actually had a, a reasonable plan that we were doing, you know, what we were doing with a big show at YouTube theater and a press and, uh, you know, uh, influencer event play days, which you went to last year, which is kind of a closed door thing. And E3 was going to do this big, um, you know, trade show at the LA convention center and a consumer event. And I, I always thought it was, you know, probably overly ambitious for what they were planning this year, but I was like, cool, if they can pull that off. Great. Um, it would, you know, we worked at the dates, So it was going to be after what we did with summer game fest. Um, so yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't really see it as, Competitive, I I I questioned the viability of what their plan was, but if sort of the industry wanted that and wanted to support that, I think people could have done both. Um, There were some companies that were originally toying with the idea of like doing things with us and then you know announcing their game with us and then having it you know at consumer playable at E3. So yeah, it's a bummer. Um, You know, it played out the way it did, and I think you know for a lot of the fans, it's been such a roller coaster, right? Of kind of willing E3 back and the the feedback that. I think is always tough to see is when people are like, bring back E3. And and you know, that somehow suggests that like the Sony event would have been better if it was part of E3 or something. Right. And it's just like the the E3 that we all know and love. And you said that that we grew up with, it really hasn't been E3 for probably seven or eight years, right? I mean, you know, the amazing E3s of like, you know, 2013, 14. But
3: I mean, even it feels like now, I mean, it's especially challenging with, you know, a lot of companies have just stopped making pre-release code, right? Because we're coming out yeah. of a pandemic. I mean, what are you going to take to it? de-scoped
4: for hands-on, exactly. So that's the thing is it's, uh, it's just not happening now um, in the old ways. And that's why, like, even if so, you know, last year, remember last summer, it was like people, I sit at interviews at Summer Game Fest, everyone's like, why are you doing this next year? Because E3 is coming back. And it's just, you know, it's like, what is E3? Can it happen? Who's supporting it? What is the content that's going to be there? Uh, And yeah, even if you sort of, you know, you build it and say it's happening, you have to get companies to come and support it. And to your point, have the code and have the financial investment to build a big booth, which I think that also got kind of, you know, taken off the budgets in COVID. And a lot of people then this year were like, hey, wait, you know, we don't want to spend millions of dollars to do this because it's kind of working okay to... Do things digitally or do our own events so they, they had a you know big challenge in approaching things that way and that's why we never you know th- there was never a plan or interest on in our part of summer game fest to do some big you know trade show or mm. consumer event. um that was at, of-
3: the, at the same time i um you know i i, I think that you see the benefit um, as I do in having kind of in, some in person stuff. I mean, to, to yeah. your point, I to say you're holding the play days events.
2: Yeah.
3: Um, you're bringing your show back in front of a live audience, which you didn't oh, yeah. have to do. It's uh, it's really nice from my perspective. Um, uh, as a journalist who does this, to kind of get out there and kind of, you know, kind of get every side of the story to to see that coming back, that in person aspects that. So you you know you clearly see the importance of still making that a part of your uh, your shows.
4: Oh yeah. No, I, I look, I love that with game awards of, you know, the in-person thing with the audience there. And, and you're right. Like that magic of being in person, especially now post pandemic, we can do this again safely. And, and yeah, I, I definitely definitely excited about that. And I think also like eventually we'll get, you know, the first parties, I think we'll go back to doing more in-person things stuff like that. And there's just, there's a magic to that, uh, which I think is really special. So yeah, I'm a big believer in that, but I also think the nature of what an in-person event moving forward will be different. And the idea of, People lining up for, you know, four hours to play, you know, a 10 minute demo of a game at a kiosk. I think that's changing. And it's more about, as you said, gathering. We're doing a a concert at the the Hollywood Bowl this year, which we're really excited about, which is like a way for people to gather, but it's listening to video game music. It's not, you know, lining up at kiosk. And I think in the, the day and age of cloud and digital distribution and demos and things like Steam Next Fest, um, I get more excited about how we can sort of take the concept of an E3 and make it something that like exists at home in your bedroom or your living room where you can sort of play games, participate in all that stuff. So I, I think much more about that model than like, how do we get companies to, you know, bring, you know, 300 TVs and PCs to, uh, you know, a place to have people line up. Cause it's just, it's very expensive. And as a fan of the industry, it's limiting, right? I mean, you know, E3 used to cost a lot of money to go to. And that was one of the things I was worried about this year. It's like, if I I, I feel bad when I see a lot of tweets from people saying, Hey, I bought, tickets to go to E3 this year and, you know, plane tickets. And it's like, you know, now I can't go. And it was always my dream to go. And it's like, that's, that's what sucks is, uh, you know, like people just wanted to be part of this industry and got excited about the concept of E3 coming back because guys like you and I got to go, you know, many years, yeah, but absolutely. Cool. It's like
3: you said, it was, uh, that everything revolved around your, your summer, right. in, in ah, Los Angeles. Oh, I, mean. I
4: was. Yeah. That was, like I said, when I was a kid, that was like my formative years when I was a teenager, my dad drove me down to E3 when I was 15 years old. The first E3 in 1995, I remember sitting, you know, standing next to Michael Jackson at the PlayStation party. Right. The first year that PlayStation came out and I, you know, I said every year through high school, through college, through everything I had, when I first years of E3, I was so young. I would get a special permission letter from the ESA to attend E3 because you had to be 18 or older. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, and I would like show up at the door and I'd like the guy be like, you're too young. And I would pull out this letter from my pocket and I'd be like, check this out. And it was Doug Mockley, <laughs> president of the ESA who said, this guy has permission to come into uh E3. So yeah, I was, I mean, I, again, I really loved E3 and, and I did E3 Coliseum um for a number of years. And Yeah, that was, I really enjoyed so, that. That was really good. Yeah, we had, we had amazing panels and conversations and that was really fun to program. And I really did all I could um to help sort of, uh you know, them figure out a new path. And it just, you know, ultimately did not, did not pan out. And, and for us, we just, I just said, I had to have to build something new and luckily all the publishers, I mean, you're coming to play days, you know, the lineup of stuff and we've got a lot of games for people to play and, and check out. So I hope it's going to be kind of a good thing. And I also don't know where it goes in the future and everyone always asks. And, you know, in these conversations about like, so next year are you going to be at the convention center and, you know, scale this up, et cetera, et cetera. And it's not, uh, I don't think that's what we're going to do, but we'll see sort of what the feedback is from, from the industry.
3: As an aside, my first E3 was literally on my 18th birthday. I remember in uh, in, in those days, obviously coming from coming from the UK, where you Would can you drink that. Oh, uh, 2004, 2004, yeah. I think. Um, I had to get people to sneak me into bars and stuff because, obviously, coming from the UK, <laughs> drinking age of yeah. 16. Yeah. Um, sure. So, like all the all the press parties, stuff, I remember going to, you know, you'd be at like the Xbox press conference, the original Xbox and you like know. you know they'd be serving alcohol like and i'd be like i'm literally oh, Yeah,
4: that was it i you know it was fun for me because they would have you know massive bands and you know be like foo fighters tonight yeah
3: and, i remember i remember they had the killers uh, and there was about like 200 yeah. people there
4: yep yeah yeah, yeah. killers to an xbox party yeah it was like so every year it was like there were big bands would play these parties it was like it was amazing because as a kid that loved video games you were like oh my god like sony did these amazing parties at the Dodger stadium parking lot. And it would just be like six or 8,000 people and they'd have, you know, huge acts perform, And it was just like incredible. Um, and all that's gone. Right. And I, I wistfully like remember those days and, and wish that, uh, we could go back to that, but it's just, you know, I, I also live in the reality of like what today is and, and building the next thing. And I always just try and keep marching forward versus lamenting that like, you know, E3 is gone, what's going to happen. And, um, you know, like I really do care about this stuff and we work extremely hard with the publishers to kind of come up with something new. Um, so we'll see. And, you know, Summer Game Fest is still very much in its formative stages. And what I've learned through my career is you can sometimes just have to like do things and learn and iterate. I've learned this a lot from game developers, even like Valve, when I would spend a lot of time with them, we would just talk a lot about, you know, like iteration on game design and levels. And that's kind of like how you build a great game was just like play testing things and getting feedback from mm. people. And I kind of think the same way about Summer Game Fest. We're just like play testing this thing and getting feedback. Yeah,
3: so I remember when you first started, it almost felt like it was like a logo on a website. You know, it you was. Know, no, work, I mean, it was yeah.
4: basically, you know, me. You know, remember, was like people were upset because it's like, how could this be four months? And it needs to be within three days. And it was like May through August because I was in the pandemic and no one knew where they were doing events, how we, how we to produce events. And I was learning how to use OBS and stream. And I streamed, you know, the... Sense first hands-on from like a spare bedroom and like, you know, the Crash Bandicoot reveal. And it was just all me like figuring this stuff out, um, in the pandemic from home. And I didn't know where it was going to go. I was just, we just have to like do something. I was, you know, kind of bored at home. I was like, I, I want that video game summer still to exist. Um, and yeah, we're just like learning every year. So the, the second year we went into a studio, the third year we added the play days this year we're, taking the show into a live theater and we're doing play days in a bigger way so yeah i'm just kind of like experimenting we'll get tons of feedback this year on like what worked what didn't and then we'll sort of shape it in the future but yeah we like to you know we show up we do things we we execute on what we're gonna do we have amazing partners in i am 8-bit that build the whole play days thing and they do an incredible job kind of putting that event together so um, i really focus on the show they focus on the um you know the hands-on experience for media. So yeah, we're just we're just doing it, and you know I'm sure the audience online will either think we did an okay job or a bad job. I doubt they'll say we did a perfect job, um, but we're also used to it, and you know sort of the thick skin. It. it it makes it that much more special when people do love a show. And that's what was great about Game Awards last year. I, I generally walked away and said like, wow, like that one just kind of worked out. And, and you, you know, know
3: what, what? To, sure. to, your, to your point, I mean, I wanted to ask before you went, I mean, I went to uh, the Game Awards in December, so it was my first Game Awards. Yeah. And uh, the work that it's really apparent when you're, you're kind of sat there, that the amount of work that goes into putting that show on a live show is, is phenomenal. It was uh Super, super impressive to kind of see um, what goes on behind the scenes as a lot of people, you know, kind of uh, will know you just as the face of of this show. When when actually, you know, obviously, as a as a producer, you're putting in a whole ton of work, you know, kind of all the year round to to kind of get that show going. How long do we have?
4: Just answer that. It's like we have an amazing team and that's one of the things that is hard for me is that because I'm the face and, you know, producer of these things, uh, I'm seen as kind of the, the, you know, the the lone gunman that sort of is doing this and yeah, on Game Awards, we have an amazing, you know, production team. Uh, You know, my, uh, the showrunner of Game Awards, Kimmy Kim who's worked with me since the beginning is like amazing. And she puts together, you know, an amazing team to kind of bring that show to life. And to your point, it's a, it's a massive, uh, it's a massive undertaking. (laughs)
3: How long do you think you'll be able to keep it up? Will there ever be a point where you kind of step behind the scenes and kind of, uh, you know, step into a, a full producer role or yeah. plan to kind of keep on going?
4: I mean, look, I, I never set out to really host these things. Like I never set out to be a face on TV. It was just kind of like what I ended up doing. And Victor Lucas, who ran a show called Electric Playground, came up to me one day at a press event and said, hey, I think you might be good on camera. Do you want to try and do something? um so even now like game awards i just kind of host because i I'd say like i'm more mc it right versus like you know i'm not ever gonna get out there and do like my you know 10 minute monologue of jokes right it's just kind of like you know i know the games i love the games i do certainly think as i get older about you know succession plans and you know who's gonna take over these things and we have we have you know we've thought about that kind of stuff especially like what happens if i get sick or things like that so like you know we think about those things a lot i mean i do too like i i generally though, like love what I'm doing. I mean, this has been you know, a lifelong dream to be able to build these shows and be trusted by the industry to, to bring them to life. So yeah, I'm, I'm not looking to, you know, sell things off and exit or, you know, retire anytime soon. Um, so yeah, I, like, I, again, I just like, I'm editing now, like our summer game fest trailer, and I'm like, so excited to be doing it. And I <laughs> you know, watch the PlayStation event and I get excited. And look, some people think I'm, crazy for like my love of this stuff but as you said like you know e3 in the summer like that was like i defined my summer by that um and i was totally happy to do it and i love this industry and love these games Mate,
3: I, I wouldn't be surprised at this point if when i come over you're handing out the wristbands to get people Yeah, no, I mean,
4: it's like i i generally like really do love what i'm doing so yeah it's uh i feel like it's kind of been a culmination of an amazing um you know, career working with a lot of these companies for, you know, decades. That's the other thing people often say, you know, how are you able to get these games and, you know, what's the secret sauce? And it's like, it's really just the relationships we've built over decades with these developers um, that we've worked with, um, you know, uh, through many iterations of my career as a print journalist, then as a TV presenter, and now kind of as this, um, you know, producer of these events. So yeah, I, I don't, we think about the future. I don't think it's imminent that, you know, I'll necessarily step behind the scenes but I, i'd love if i could find the you know the right person to sort of take over some of the stuff i would love that and again it's it's hard when you know you become the face of it people you know especially with game awards they assume it's like i'm in some back room you know picking what's going to win game of the year and it's like that's not the case and we very clearly outline that just because you're the face of it people naturally uh, speculate around stuff so as i said you have to have a have to have a thick skin for the feedback
3: i bet Thanks very much for your time, Jeff. Much appreciated. Uh, yeah, appreciate looking, all looking your
4: forward support to coming out. What we're doing, and uh, yeah, we'll look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks.
1: Thanks very much to Jeff for making the time. I can't imagine a busier human being um, in the industry at the moment than Big Jeff. Um, this isn't the only time you will hear from us this week. Tomorrow, if you're listening to this on Thursday, tomorrow which is friday it's an educational show we will have an interview with the night dive team who have just put out the system shock remake and you'll have the opportunity to win a copy of the game on steam and i grill them about the console release because as much as i like playing games on steam i want to play it on my big shiny playstation 5 any questions comments and concerns send them to podcast at videogameschronicle.com chris what's the rest of your night looking like the rest of my night is getting on a plane
2: and flying to uh, a location. Uh, well, I'm going to France, the, country, the country's not, not secret. Oh, um, I suppose the. Yeah, I'm going to. I'm flying to a location as opposed to flying into a void. Um, yeah, so uh, going, going to France for a thing, um, and we'll then rep- write about said thing. Uh, mm. when the time is right, i.e. when I'm allowed um, but yeah, I, I hate flying so everyone listening to this podcast, keep me in your thoughts and prayers as I sit on a perfectly fine flight
1: <laughs> I'm terrified you, of my mind as you take significantly um, so, more risk on the drive to the airport than you would remotely do on the flight, on the like 90 minute flight to France much pretty much well,
2: so i mean i've got one in i've got two japan coming so that's 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 the real killers. this is this is the this is the tester before before those ones just to get mm. get me back into it
1: fun times well thank you very much folks for joining us um next week we'll have uh i mean jeff Kelly won't be back next week unless he is unless it's me and jeff chatting through the news what a should what a show that would be um next week we'll have another Wonderful guest. Maybe we'll give Chris more than thirty seconds preparation for the podcast next week. But I like it when you're when you're just here. You're just ready to go. He's, he's the man uh, that's, that can that's that...
2: Yeah, that, that's that's when you that's when you know that I'm I'm on fire. <laughs> <Can you laughs> ask me about any topic, um, and I will do my best to pretend I know what I'm talking about
1: yeah okay let's get into the ukraine russia conflict until next week you can follow me on twitter at jordan middler you can follow chris at scully 1888 we'd like to thank the great grant kirkhope for the vgc podcast theme song say goodbye chris goodbye chris and we will see you next week
4: vgc a video games podcast is a stack production and part of the ACAST Creative Network.